0: guests the last couple of weeks people who I just like to sit back and listen to and today's guest is absolutely that. Yeah, the, uh, the other two I was mentioning was uh, Rhonda Sewell from TMA to preview of John Legend and other things happening in uh, the museum a couple weeks ago. Jaden Jefferson was on Friday. Today um, Stuart James is on. Stuart James is the new executive director of the Ability Center. Uh, You know, I've long been a fan of them uh, with the slogan of trying to make Toledo the most accessible city in the country. It would be great to be known here for more than just the Mud Ends, the Glass City, Paco's, Jamie Farr. um, And I hope Stuart, I think Stuart will help us achieve that. Um, When I read the Blade article that featured him on September 23rd, um, let me just read some of this. Before finding his way around the globe, he began his career working for the New York New York Rangers. His love for sports then led him to become a sports agent, representing athletes and team in action sports. From there, his work in action sports eventually took him to Beijing, where he started his own media company. He even once produced a commercial for Reebok that was named Golf Diges Best Super Bowl Commercial for the year 2003. As you'll hear him mention later, in Beijing, he had an epiphany that had him pivot where his work was, and it led him to lots of advocacy. Um, After sitting with Stuart for an hour, I think we are incredibly lucky to have a person of his caliber and dynamism here in Toledo. That's why I warned him about how freaking cold it gets in January, and I hope that that doesn't run him off. It was a great hour with Stuart. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to his stories as much as I did during today's podcast.
1: So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I'm th- Thank you for having me come down and chat with you. Uh, We're good.
0: Uh, We're off and rolling. Uh, Stuart James, new executive director of the Ability Center, welcome to Toledo. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. You have had, like myself, a very long, winding road uh, to get here. Um I we'll come to the ability center stuff, but can I ask uh where did your professional career all start? You were an agent in sports and worked with were for the Rangers?
1: Um yeah, I started before that actually. Um you know, probably like you, I studied communications in college. Yep. Um when I went to grad school I was coaching lacrosse. And uh, you know, there's kind of a long story to that, but well, I grew up on Long Island in New York. And when you grew up on Long Island, if you go to a Division Two school, you don't get the media because we have two professional sports teams in every league. And so it's hard to get media. I created a program in graduate school to do live on tape sports for Division Two schools. And then we started getting air on MSG Network Sports Channel, which is now Fox Sports. And that led to a job at MSG... Uh, which then uh, was awesome, working with the Rangers. And then um, I had a friend of my brother's, really, who uh, was the chief marketing officer at Orion Pictures. He he mistakenly said to me, and I ran into him in the grocery store, and he mistakenly said to me, uh, you know, if you want to come to California, just come out and give me a call. So I packed my truck up two weeks later and drove to California. Didn't tell him, but when I got there, I called him. And he gave me a job. And uh, so then I started working in movies. Just kind of went from there.
0: I'm guessing you were a sports fan uh, growing growing up? Oh, yeah.
1: Actually, you know, I mean, I'm four and a half feet tall and I use this wheelchair. But if you were to ask me what I wanted to do when I was 10, I would have told you I wanted to be linebacker for the New York Giants. Don't kill me. I'm assuming you're a Philly fan. But no, I. Uh,
0: we won't I, hold that against no, you. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's funny. We both. Did you have a, a Long Island accent um, b- until you started moving around?
1: I, You know, it's. Um, I'm a phony. I'm a fake. I have an accent depending
0: on where I go. Got it. When I go home to Philadelphia to visit uh, family, it it's like people are speaking another language. I'm like, water. I'd like a water, please. <laughs> um. My parents are from England, so if I'm overseas,
1: I tend to kick in with a British accent. Got it.
0: Um, So, I know what it's like growing up as a sports fan and, like, living and dying with your teams, and then I was fortunate to get going in radio, but I also had some inklings to want to do sports talk radio. Like, sports and music, they're deep passions. So, what pulled you out of working in sports to go to California?
1: Well, I never really did. You know, I sort of... um, I waffled between the two. I was working at Orion Pictures and MGM bought the studio and they didn't need two marketing departments. So we all got fired, but we got like a year's severance. So I bummed around LA doing this and that. I was doing some PA work on films and, um, I just had, I was doing a lot of casting actually, which I loved, but then I had an opportunity to start to be an agent and, uh, in sports, and I thought, all right, well, you know, my friend, uh, he was in the NFL, said, you know, your mouth works pretty good. So,
0: <laughs> hold on, who's your, who was your friend in the NFL? Uh,
1: his name is Lester Spate, and he's um, he's, he's a little bit older than us. He um, was a pretty prominent player in the 80s, he played originally in the USFL. Um, for the Baltimore Bayhawks and then went over to the Giants, um, blew his knee out and then sort of all went from there. Um, you will best know him for a TV commercial that came out in 2001 called Terry Tate, the office linebacker for Reebok. Yeah. Um, that's Lester Spade. Look at that. And I was involved in doing that.
0: Um, I didn't want to like hop to this so quickly, but you're moving along. We have all the time in the world. But um, you, did you produce or Were part of a, uh, a like a, an award winning Super Bowl commercial? That was
1: Terry Tate. Yeah, that I, one. I, yep. Uh, Terry Tate, the office linebacker, started out as a spec reel for Ralston Thurber, who's a director. Um, it had a long, long, almost three year journey to get to Reebok. Um, but we did get to Reebok, and um, yeah, we were the number one Super Bowl commercial in 2001. We beat um, Nike. Um, Peter know, who is the ad agency for that uh, campaign, um, came up with the brilliant idea. that uh, that same year, Nike had a commercial that um, of a guy who was, run- was a streaker running through a stadium with nothing but his Nikes on. So it was like the first year of American Idol, maybe the second, and American Idol final was coming on. So Peter Arnell said, you know, let's mock the the Nike commercial. Except at the end, Terry Tate's going to hit the Nike guy. And so Terry Tate hits him and he's is you just did it, so I had to hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then gets the crowd all fired up. um, He's still around, you know, he's in Transformers. Is he? Yeah. Did
0: they tell you to say that to me? Uh, I sorry. Did anybody at the Ability Center tell you to bring that up to me? Um, no. My uh, my number one, the thing that people most identify with with me is is Transformers. It was my thing as a kid, and it's still as an adult. What does he do with the Transformers? Oh, right. a, a thousand percent. When we wrap, no, up. I had no idea. I I will show you. I will show you some pictures, and your mind will be blown. So yeah, that's my thing. What What does he do with them?
1: Oh, wow. Yes, sir. Um, No, actually, no idea. Uh, Terry Tate's his name is Lester Speed. I actually call him Rasta. That's his nickname. Um, Rasta's been uh, using My Wife and Kids with the Wayne Brothers and then went on to do do Transformers. He's the big, big dude.
0: Um, Yeah. I am visualizing him. I think I know who it is. Um, you mentioned that casting was interesting. Uh, what What's that like? Like We all watch stories that talk about Hollywood, but you were there doing all these jobs. What was casting and other things like um, during your time? Casting
1: was awesome. I, I, I actually like doing commercials more than I like doing feature films or TV. I did both. The process for teacher films and TV is a bit so... Um, and, uh, you're really doing sort of the second and third tier roles because the front tier roles are done with producers, uh, but commercials are fast. You're doing a commercial a day. You're seeing 30, 40 actors every day. A lot of them come back over and over and over again. Um, and then you have your little clicks. You have, you know, you're doing a comedy commercial. The comedians are coming in, mm-hmm. um, bikers, the biker dudes are coming in, um, you know, you, when I first did it, you get really excited on model day, like the models are coming. Right. And you're like, this is going to be just the best. And then uh, it's not. <laughs> it's absolutely disaster. They never show up on time. They're never ready. You're, they screw up your whole day. Um, and then you're like, you know, after you do it two or three times, you're like, oh, God, models are coming. <laughs> not happy about that. Um,
0: I just don't know which question to ask you. I, I have so many of them. Um, You were successful in arguably two of the most hard-to-be-successful places in the country, New York and Los Angeles and Hollywood. Did you have any, like, core values other than, you know, what we learned when we're kids, work hard, that got you through, that got you past people?
1: Oh, yeah, you know, for me, I, I, I think sometimes we get too hung up on the process or the fact that it may be difficult. I never really thought about it. You know, I do have a disability and I guess it's supposed to be harder for me than it was for others and it probably was. I didn't pay much attention to it because for me, it was always like, what do I need to do to do what I want to do? Yeah. And so I just looked straight ahead and focused on what I was doing. And I didn't really care too much about whether it was fair. Life's not fair. So you just move on and keep going.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, New York and then Los Angeles, uh, I guess, when did you get to Beijing, which apparently was quite inspirational for you?
1: So, yeah, it was, I had my agency. And God, he's going to kill me for this. But, um, <laughs> no, not meant that many people hear it. <laughs> And I had my agency, and I had a couple of mentors who were very famous agents. One of them was me, Michael Levy. And he's a big writer, director, agent. He then went on to be the president of CBS Entertainment and then back to being a manager. Um, and I don't know why he took a shine to me, and he often gave me a lot of advice. He called me his Jewish He called himself my Jewish father. Um, and he had just finished his fifth divorce, and he lost everything. And I was having dinner with him one day, and I'm just like, damn, I don't want to end up here. <laughs> um, it's a ruthless know, like, world. I want to build something, but when you're an agent, you don't build anything. It's just what you're doing today. Mm hmm. And um, he actually introduced me to some folks that were doing things in China, and I thought, well, let's, let's take a look. And so I think it was 2002, I missed, I made my first trip. I My agency did NFL players and sports, but we actually our biggest component was action sports at the end. And um, we ended up rolling into the Endeavor Agency, which is now William Morris Endeavor. And so... was fun you know that was just an interesting ride but um, I went and did my first trip to China to do an action sports event in a little city called Rishi and just outside of Shanghai and I just thought wow Shanghai is really exciting it was just opening the doors there was a crew an eclectic group of expats that um, I fell in with and so I just decided this is kind of an adventure maybe what I need.
0: So you've, you decided that you didn't want to have the five divorce life. Um, most people <laughs> might step aside and I like, like me settle down here in Toledo, but you went to the other side of the world. Where did the, uh, the courage or bravery come to do that?
1: To go to China. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just never, I, I'm not really afraid to do things. Um, I like adventure I wanted to go do something exciting um, I didn't want that life I, th- I was doing more branded entertainment like the Tate stuff I was I just put dodge on the Vans torup tour and um, so that was kind of fun. I don't know you know it just was it was exciting. I actually went to China the first time and I started a small company called Xingdong Media with a guy named Steve Gormley. And uh, we Steve did really well. We were working with Pepsi and Budweiser, and uh yeah, that name may come to you in a minute. He's a that radio
0: host, right? Um, he does do. He has done that.
1: Okay. He's now actually um, running a big cannabis fund.
0: Okay. Um,
1: on Wall Street, but he used to be an actor and he used to be a host. Sounds so familiar. Probably, and he's, just, he's roughly he's like, it's my age, so it's not too off. Um, but yeah, you probably know him. And uh, he was also one of the group that brought me to China. And so we started this branded entertainment company. We were working with Pepsi, Budweiser, um, diesel jeans, and doing things like uh, Formula One for Budweiser. We did a really cool campaign with Stan Lee and uh, Yao Ming for Pepsi. At that time, the Chinese president said they just won the Olympics. And he said that all Chinese people would learn English. So we decided to create a comic book around Yao. That would be one page would be Chinese and a duplicate page would be English so kids could use to work on their So did you work
0: closely with Stanley? I have met Stanley, yes, on several occasions. So also, along with Transformers, big superhero nerd. um, What was your interactions like with him?
1: Oh, um, so we put him on... the I've actually worked around him on two projects, one that went off, one that didn't. Um, my lawyer happened to be his lawyer, and Michael Levy happened to do some work with Stan as well. So that was my connection with him. Um, you know, we the first project was Stan Lee and doing this comic book around Yao Ming. It was pretty cool. It was basically Lao is just this normal dude like you, And um, his father is like a mad scientist. And Yao is just really good at fighting crime. But um, you can't get him anywhere because you can't travel so freely because he's Chinese. So his dad creates this formula if you drink Pepsi, he becomes the basketball yammer. He's on the national team. Interpol schedules the national team where they need Yao to fight crime. Yao's sports agent is his connection to Interpol. And that's the story. And it was pretty cool. We did it in anime. Um, um, and then the second project was Stan's actually, before he passed, he had a company called POW Entertainment. And with a guy named Guild Champion. And if you went into the office at POW along one wall, there was nothing but filing cabinets. And in those filing cabinets were unpublished comics that he wrote. Some of them were finished, some of them weren't. And he had this idea about trying to figure out... He was trying to find a way to do something in China. And so he had, he had a couple of books that were Chinese-based. And so we said, well, you know, we can get Jet Li in the room. Maybe Jet could do something with you. So uh, we brought Jet Li in to meet him. And it was really kind of funny. You know, Jet's really short. I mean, he's not much taller than me. <laughs> um, and... Uh, when we get off, and Stan's rather tall. He's thin, but he's rather tall. And so we came into the office, and Stan didn't even say hello. He just looked at Jet and went, oh, "I could kick your ass."
0: Ah, what did what did Jetly say to that?
1: It was uh, he, he. He didn't Jet's very quiet. He was playing on his beads. He didn't really respond. An interesting thing when you go into that office, there's a large lifestyle uh, life-size statue of Batman and it's because he has a good really super DC comics so they gave it to him as a gift
0: were you a, a, a superhero nerd or a comic book person when you were growing up not at all mm.
1: I was like, the, of all my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go I have a meeting with Stan Lee. Everybody was so excited. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Whatever. It didn't do much for me, but people were flipping out about it.
0: Yeah, like the god of all of so much in the superhero world and comic books. Those file cabinets you mentioned, wherever they are now, even back then, they were probably worth tens of millions.
1: You know, I don't know. That's a good question. um Dan had a lot of health issues at the end of his life, and there was some turmoil about a, some people that were um, managing his business. Yeah, and not so good. His daughter, I believe, is in a lawsuit with them now. And so where there's cabinets, are, I'm not sure, but I believe there's like a there's a treasure trove of stuff in there.
0: Yeah you're even more well traveled and met more people than I ever could have imagined. So I'm going to ask you a question. Sometimes people ask me and I'm on a much lower level than you, but people meet a radio person or whatever. They're like, who's the, who's the best celebrity you've ever met or who's the worst. So I'll I'll ask you. And if you don't want to put anybody's dirty laundry out there, that's totally fine. But if you do, that would be great. So who is a, a great celebrity you've met and someone who was an asshole.
1: Um, I don't know how to answer the best question.
0: (laughs) Someone maybe that you have a lifelong relationship with, like you mentioned, Lester, just anybody like that. It doesn't have to be anybody mega famous because you'd never guess my answer.
1: Oh, you know, I know a lot of them. I don't know that I have lifelong friendships with any of them, but people know me. Um, You know, I've had a long-running relationship with Kevin from the Backstreet Boys' wife, as I mentioned. We knew each other before they were married, and so I know Kevin... I produced a couple of their concerts. Um I've a, a, a lot of I've had a lot of fun with Nick Carter. Yes. <laughs> um mention off the air. And uh you know he's a good guy and he's a, it's, a, it's a fun night out. Yeah. Um I think you know it's kind of funny I don't really get Starstruck although I have twice. Um once was meeting Muhammad Ali at the Sports Illustrated awards. I was like, "Wow, just that was amazing." And then the second one was I was in a small theater in LA watching a friend in a play and I'm sitting there and I, I heard this guy talking behind me right before the start of the play and I'm with my friend and I'm like, you know, that voice sounds really familiar <laughs> but I didn't want to look around to be obvious so I'm, I'm like, wow. And when I got up at intermission it was Gene Simmons from Kiss and I'm just, a, that was like my first rock concert when mm-hmm. I was a kid so I was just on awe of Gene Simmons but he was a really good guy.
0: Who's a jerk or someone that Maybe dismissed you or whatever. They just weren't very con- Who? Really? <laughs> really? I believe that.
1: I believe that. Tiger Woods. Um, Wayne Rooney of Manchester United. Mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of a jerk. You know, they came over to play uh, an exhibition game in 2005, and Chinese fans don't get a chance to interact with guys like him. He had a massive following, and he couldn't give them two minutes to sign autographs. I thought that was kind of lousy. Um, and then you have other guys like Tim Howard, the goalkeeper, who was there until the person left. Cristiano Ronaldo, great guy. He spent just, you know, he just he stayed till the last autograph was signed.
0: What's your favorite sport to to watch, follow, root for? Uh, American football. Giants? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it's uh, rough I mean, setting these days. I mean, it's probably time that they wipe it all clean, but this is why half measures never get the job done
1: been a long time now.
0: Yeah. Um, let's, uh, on a more serious note, um, at least according to the Blade story, when you were in Beijing, that's where you met a, a, a family that had a, a couple of kids that had the same disability or were born. Yeah. What, you had? Yeah, I
1: mean, there's a long, winding story. So just to give you a little bit of backdrop, you know, so I did all these things. I had this career in sports and entertainment, but what I never did ever was talk about my disability. It was something I kept in a box. It was not something I I wanted to be identified by. I mean, I'm sure it was, but it's not how I saw myself, right? And so, I have osteogenesis imperfecta, otherwise known as OI. My mom is one of the founders of the National Foundation here in America, and I never went to a meeting. It was a 40-year fight with my mom. I just wouldn't go. And so... I had two very influential friends in Beijing. One was Ian Stewart, who's the founder of Wired Magazine. One is Tony Pite, who's an heir to the VW family fortune. And they were both involved in media and marketing in China. And they would be, you know, we were at lunch, and they would be like, Beijing is pretty accessible, but if we see someone in a wheelchair, it's, you know, you. (laughs) Where is everybody? And I'm like, you know, I don't know, I don't talk about that stuff. Just leave me alone but they were relentless. And um, my mom or somebody had gotten invited to speak at a group of parents who were upper middle class, all with children who had physical disabilities and somehow they got me to speak. And uh, I went up on the stage and I was really startled, like my jaw hit the floor startled at the sight of 200 something families, all with these kids with physical disabilities And none of them had a wheelchair. And I just kept thinking, man, what would I do if I didn't have a wheelchair? Like, that's just the start of everything. And uh, at the end, these parents were trying to ask me about all these things I did. And I'm like, you know, hold up. I don't want to talk about that. Why don't you tell me why you don't buy your kid a wheelchair? (laughs) And they're like, you know, well, it's expensive. And I'm like, okay, but that's crap. you got a (laughs) BMW outside. Yeah. So sure, come back, give me another reason. And then they would say, what's the point? And I'm like, you know, that that question shook me. And I'm like, what's the point? Like, I can't, like, what's the point? <laughs> um, and at the same time, I got invited to speak to that family. And they were way out in the countryside, about two and a half hours outside of Beijing. And um, they have never reached chair. In my disability, the girl didn't have a wheelchair. But she was in this little shed that her dad built, and all she did was art. And she was really talented. And when I made the trip out there, I brought Ian with me, and Ian Stewart, and my wife. And when we were leaving, the mom, and the dad wouldn't meet us because he was ashamed of the family. But when we were leaving, the grandma, started crying, and I thought, wow, why is she crying? I thought we just had a lovely afternoon. My wife started to speak to her, and it turned out it was tears of joy, because until she met me, she never realized that anybody with a disability could have a job, an education, money, a car driver, a wife. My wife has no disability.
0: That might be arguable. (laughs) (laughs) We can get into that off the air or something, but I like that comment a lot. That's episode two. Um, And
1: they never saw it. They never even imagined it was possible. And fast forward to about a year, I just forgot about the whole thing. And um, the chief of surgery for China's hospital in Chicago came to China to do free surgeries for kids with orthopedic problems my mom said hey would you go out there and take him to dinner I'm like sure so I go out to this hospital and I pull in the parking lot and there's this 50 60 year old man he's running around as happy as a bee and he's calling me by name and I'm like I don't know who that guy is I get out of the car and it turns out he's the girl's dad because as soon as they met me they had a different idea about what was possible for their daughter so everything changed and I kind of had an epiphany about that. And so Ian, Tony, and I got together and we like, you know, I don't want to do the service thing, but we're all marketing media people. Let's change the way people view disability in China. And so we created a nonprofit called Reels Plus Wings. It was really a social venture creating a nonprofit in China is difficult. And so we basically it was for profit, we put all the money back. And the idea was that we would go to children between the ages of 6 and 16 and say, what do you want to do? And then, um, not like I want to go to Disneyland, what do you want to do? But like, what do you want to do? Most of the time, they had no idea because they had no experience doing anything. Right. We also decided that we would only help children who are with their parents. 90% of kids in China who have disabilities end up in orphanages, but all the NGOs are helping those kids and no one's helping the families that keep their children. So we said, we're going to stay over in the lane. And so we went back to that young lady first and Ian said, let's get her into Beijing's best art school. We know people. And we almost got her in, but at the end they turned her down because of her disability. But one of the professors went like nutty. He just was so angry. So he, in, the, in the flash of a moment, he said, we're going out to her house. So we drove out to her house. He grabbed nine paintings off her wall, comes back to Beijing, and he says, one of my former students has the most prominent gallery in Beijing. We're going to host a show for her. And we framed up all the paintings in really nice frames. We invited a who's who of people, ambassadors, CEOs, Sway Hark, who's a really famous movie director does Jet Li's movies, Chinese movies. And so her dad makes about $300 a month as a farmer. We sold all nine of her paintings for 30,000 U.S. dollars in an hour and a half.
0: They let her into that art school then, right? And we
1: handed it to her. <laughs> and her mom, like, fainted. And that was it. That was, the art school wanted a donation. I'm like, if you give them money, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> right? But a great story. And she was an anomaly, but, you know, in China, you're allowed to go to school if you have a disability but it's not a given, you have to advocate for the headmaster. But if you think what's the point, you don't advocate. So if we show you the point, then you start to advocate. If the 15 kids we helped them, we went dancing with China's best ballerina. We played tennis with Sean Stevens. Um, we went and did action sports with Aaron Featheringham, who's got spina bifida, does mega ramp jumps, 75 feet high, 50 feet ride in his wheelchair. And it was awesome. But all 15 kids we helped ended up in public school. Because as soon as their parents realized they could do something, they pushed. And as soon as they pushed, the headmaster said, all right, well, let's see what happens. And they're all doing well. It was just all we had to do was change the story. Mm -hmm. And so after i committed to do that for a year, but the year turned into three, and then I was getting a little run down and being in Beijing, pollution was really bad, my wife and I didn't really like it so much, plus my wife decided I had to go back to work <laughs> and uh, make some money. And I'd come back to Florida, and we were going to go work at the PGA, and then uh, a woman named Judy Human, who's a really famous disability advocate, um, had come to know me because she was the head of human rights and disability at the State Department, appointed by Obama. And she'd gone to Beijing, and the ambassador to the U.S. had told her what we were doing. And so she invited my wife and I to spend some time with her in D.C. And so we did, I was trying to help her advocate for a bill, so we spent about a month up there. And on my way back, she just said, you know, would you consider doing something else? And I thought, my wife hated Florida, a bunch of old white men, and she didn't want to live there. And so we went to Berkeley and she saw Chinatown and Oakland that was the end of that um, but I, I was startled when I came back to America that you know the, the world was really accessible here certainly far more than it was in Beijing but the attitude hadn't changed mm-hmm. and so I, I had this idea that you know all movements come in two parts the first part is creating access and opportunity and that's the law and we know how to do that. You know, we protest, we lobby, we do whatever we have to do, but we get those things changed. But the second part is different. It's changing people's hearts and minds. And we're not so good at that. And it doesn't matter whether it's disability or if it's race or if it's religion or if it's sexual orientation. You know, we passed civil rights, civil rights legislation in the 60s, but we still have rampant racism. Yep. Because we haven't changed the conversation. We haven't broken down this wall about getting to know each other a little bit. And so for disability, it was about normalizing disability. The disability community hates the word normal because they think it excludes them. I think normal is just what you see every day. And so if you see people with disabilities going to work, raising families, that's normal. And so we need to normalize it. I don't want to be excluded from the road, I want to take the road back. And so, yeah, that's my bit. That's my dumb speech.
0: My, uh, my neck hurts now, which is good because I was just nodding along listening and I had expected you to tell these kinds of stories and they're absolutely incredible. So if I got this right, if Michael Levy doesn't have all these divorces, you might not wind up in Beijing to begin to change the <laughs> culture there. That's something that's something. What would it sounded. It sounds like uh, you
1: know. There's yes. I like, guess you could look at it that way. He's gonna kill me.
0: That's, <laughs> yeah. But I'm also a tribes person too. So you're definitely an honorary Jew. We're good. Are you Jewish? Ah uh, yes,
1: yes. So I'm. You know, all the people close to me in Hollywood were Jewish.
0: I'm stunned at that. Stanley was Jewish. Yeah.
1: Um, and. I I came this close to converting. I'm not even kidding. It's a great religion. Um, When my daughters were born, I was looking for a place. I'm not particularly religious. But when my daughters were born, I have twin three-year-olds. I was looking to get them baptized. And the churches around Northern California just kind of weren't very friendly. And I thought, wow, this doesn't really feel very good. And the rabbi to the local um, temple ran ran into him. And he's like, you know, why don't you come just have a visit? and it was just this really welcoming environment so um i also from New York so yeah you're used to being around Jewish people
0: (laughs) here there's 2,000 Jews wow really that that, which is like a block in Brooklyn it's Yes. What, yeah. what? Like why? So let me ask you this. I, I, like I said, we have uh, unique, we have unique experiences from people here. I always like to say, and some it rubs some people the wrong way. This is the least diverse place I've ever lived. Uh, there are black people and there are white people, and we have sprinklings of other things. You have come from one of the great cities in America, diversity, very, very rich and prestigious. How the hell did you get to Toledo? What made you come here besides the ability center, or what about the ability center drew you here?
1: Um, well, I had been away from my family in New York for since the nineties, and so I have twin three year olds. I wanted them to realize we have a family bigger than just my wife and I. We wanted to settle in. We weren't. Um, Berkeley's beautiful and the Northern California, but it wasn't kind of our vibe. And so we weren't really settled there. And I had been looking for an opportunity to come east. And to be honest with you, yeah, when this came up, my wife's like, Toledo? (laughs) I don't don't think that's going to work. But I'm like, well, let's go check it out. We came in the summer, and we spent four or five days here. And when we left, my wife was just like, wow, you know, the people were so friendly. I mean, they were just Midwestern charm-friendly. And it's not what we had expected. Um, And so the Ability Center, too, is also a great organization. And so having an opportunity to come in, I had things I wanted to do in the disability community, and I just thought this might be the place that I can do it. Um, And we wanted to plant a tree. We just bought a house in Miami. And, we're not moving.
0: and that house is—you could probably buy five more of them for what you were paying to live in Berkeley.
1: That house was half the price of the one we owned in, in Berkeley, and it's twice more than it's more than twice the size.
0: Cost of living here is in, is incredible, but you oh,
1: not even not even close.
0: You're you're right about the welcoming nature of people. I'll share two stories of mine. Once I got out to the Midwest. I Detroit was a bit of a rougher town. More, it's definitely a city. But I'm like coming from the East Coast, where people won't look at you, and if they do look at you, they're usually giving you the middle finger, which was not a thing here at all. When uh, I mentioned when we were chatting before the podcast, so I had lost my job in 2017 at uh, my old radio station, and uh, my thing was always mental health. I had shared my uh, my bipolar, two depression, anxiety stories on the air. Um, because I didn't have much else to talk about because it was either Transformers or that. Um, And when I lost my job, a lot of people, dozens even, jumped into my messages and said, thank you for for sharing what you did on the air. Um, I've never heard that before. It allowed me to connect with my son. It allowed me to help myself. It allowed me to show somebody else that it was okay. Um, and with that welcoming nature, I knew that my work was, was not done here and it put an exclamation point on just how kind people really are here. Like for what we don't have in diversity, we sure as hell make up with nice people and great cost of living.
1: You know, it's interesting because, um, when I was here and and just even talking to people when I was still back in California, I would say, you know, what's the hook? Tell me on why I should come to theater. Like what's the thing? That's going to make me want to go there. And then nobody really could catch that. Like, you know, it's not the music scene. It's not the restaurant scene. It's not this, not that. But I think they missed it. Toledo's a great city. I agree with you. Toledo's a really good city. And it's the people. Yeah. That's the hook.
0: People are always, people are always, like Philadelphia, New York, LA. I mean, yes, you have the climate and everything in the buildings, but those cities are the people in them.
1: You know, I can't speak on Philly, but, uh, and I never will because I have nothing to say about it. But, <laughs> and, um, but, you know, New York, people are driven. They're not really, necess- it's like LA. People are focused on careers, they're focused on things, not necessarily family. I think um, that's a challenge. And, you know, I actually think New Yorkers are friendly. The problem is you can't speak to them when they're getting from point A to point B. Right. We're all in a rush. If you get them in the bar, they're super friendly but you can't get them when they're working. But.
0: Um, one of the things that really drew me to the Ability Center, other than having some friends there and then working with animals to help people with mental health issues, which I, I, I came across them in that regard several years ago, um, in the last year or so, they've taken up this uh, this motto. And some people might think it's hokey, but there's a lot of things that this city is, is known for with... I'm sure they've all told you about it. Tony Paco's. It's the glass city, the mud hens, but I, I wish more people. And this is why whenever I have the opportunity to talk about, it, it's like, hello, hello. The ability center is trying to make Toledo the most accessible city in the country. And that had to be some kind of hook for you. Right. Cause to me, it's not just a hokey line.
1: Yeah. I mean, it totally is. We have a lot of work to do, um, but it totally is. And it starts for me. It starts with the mindset, you know, I, I I tell Katie, our, our lead advocate, we can go in and meet with a legislator or a business leader about something that needs to change, and they can understand the words coming out of my mouth. But the picture in my head is not the same as the picture in their head. So we're not really having the same conversation. So part of what I think my job is here. Is is putting my marketing hat back on, is to make sure that when we're talking that we're having the same picture. And I need to get kids to dream beyond the boundary of their disability. Be aspirational. You have cerebral palsy and you want to be an astronaut, go for it, I don't know what hell you can do, go right. for it. And even if you don't get there, look, I, was, I worked with professional athletes, I worked with movie stars, I worked with bands, they're the they're the the less than one percenters that actually get there. Most people fail. Most people don't get there, but they're allowed to dream. It always bugged me that I watch parents spend thousands of dollars on their kids to play Little League or to play pee football, on equipment, on travel, on whatever. Those kids have no shot. Yeah, but parents allow them to have the dream. But as soon as you have a disability, suddenly you gotta be practical. Suddenly you gotta be realistic. Bullshit. I mean bullshit. Um you know it's nonsense. And you're so, proof of that. Yes. And so I want kids to dream beyond the boundary of their disability. I want them to um sorry, I lost my connection. No, you're fine. Um So, I want them to dream beyond the boundary of their disability. I want them, I want people with newly acquired disabilities, you've acquired your disability when you're 30 or 40 or whatever it is, to realize that all the aspirations you had before your accident are still there. They may look different, but they're still there. And to what you said a little bit earlier, I have a lot of my football clients, a lot of my action sports athletes have mental health issues, but they're afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And it's back to normalizing it because lots of people have mental health issues. It's a normal thing. It's nothing to be afraid of or to be ashamed of. It just is. But if you if you realize it and you're comfortable with it, then you deal with it. And it's manageable. And people will understand when things don't go so well. And instead of having this gap in communication, it's all about communication.
0: It is. It is. And I think... My superpower, if there is one, is I just have a gift to talk about that stuff. And people are always like, you're so brave. I'm like, bullshit, I'm not brave. This stuff, uh, Bravery is me going on top of a building or flying to Beijing on a whim. This is easy for me. And I'm guessing, like you talked about to the legislatures, like the words are the same, but the pictures are different. Do you just endeavor to share the story, talk about it, make it so it's as normal as anything else? Right.
1: Um, You know... It, all, it, it, it took me a while to be comfortable with my own disability, because I said I didn't talk about it for a long, long time. Um, and um, it took me a long time. It's hard. Like, it's, it's,
0: it's just hard. But even yeah. before that, you were immensely successful. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All the new MSG stuff out in California. I mean, people would 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 do awful things. To oh, I get...
1: never talked about
0: it. Oh, I know. But though, but you were immensely. So many people would trade their lives for that. Like, there's a lot of star and celebrity and cool things that you did for work, and a lot of people would love to have that. And you didn't even mind your disability. You just kept going.
1: You know, they didn't. Well, I don't know if they did. I never. I never. I never. I just didn't even pay attention yeah, to Yeah, you just went. Um, I found the harder I worked, the more people were willing to help me.
0: And that's anybody. That's anybody, I think.
1: Yes. And, you know, there were times where I did, I guess, realize that, you know, I know coming into a situation that people doubt my ability to do it. So I need to work harder than that guy. And so that's just the way it is. <laughs>
0: that's just the way it is. It's a great sports analogy where no, nobody thinks that guy can make the team and then he works his ass off and lo and behold, he beat out a bunch of guys who are more talented than him.
1: Yes. I mean, you know, there are plenty of guys in professional sports that make it just because they're there every day, three hours after practice, they're shooting hoops,
0: they're running the pins. And you can't teach that. You either have it or you don't.
1: You can't teach that. And I that's my dad, you know, my dad, I, when I told you I wanted to play linebacker for the New Giants. They need you. My dad would spend Sundays with me. He was an athlete. He played professional soccer in England. He's from England. But he would spend his Sundays making me catch 200 footballs, and he wouldn't let me in until I caught 200 footballs. And he would make it harder as we got there. And you're from Philly, so you know when it's cold, it's like a rock. <laughs> yeah! And... and I think my dad's point was that it was it didn't matter that I wasn't going to play professional football. If this is what I love to do, I was going to do it as well as I could. Yeah. And to this day, I swear to God, if you throw a football out there for me and I touch it, I'll catch it. Um, and, um, you know, my moment came, I guess, with my dad. I was pretty close to my dad. Um, we were at a giant game, actually. And we were in the parking lot, tailgating. And there was a pickup game with some kids, and they invited me to play. And uh, I don't know what happened, but I ended up getting open, and the kid threw the ball, it was way behind me. But I managed to reach back and grab it. And I remember when I finished the play, there was a guy standing next to my dad, who just, his face was wide open, he turned to my dad, he said, wow, that was a hell of a catch. And my dad was beaming. And for me, that was the moment. You know that was just sort of the moment. Uh, so, your victories don't need to come in the Super Bowl. They come mm-hmm. in the parking lot, giant Stadium. They, they come wherever. But you put hard work in, and you get that thing that just makes you feel like it was all worth it.
0: Yeah. Um. We could literally talk for hours. We'll uh, book episode two soon. But I have some fun things I just want to ask you. Um. <laughs> as,
1: as, as I want to we... hang out with you. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: for, okay. The first. What do you like to drink? Uh,
1: alcohol or not. Yes,
0: yes, alcohol. alcohol and scotch. Scotch, me too. Johnny Walker Black. I'm a Black. scotch fan. Johnny Walker Black.
1: Yes, actually, I'm gonna. I haven't got one here, but I will get one and I will treat you to it. It's. Um, I can't remember the the. Um, where it's out of, but it's a. But look it up. It's called Black Art, and it's absolutely fantastic from Scotland. But we'll crack a bottle. I
0: like it. Um, what food? do you miss from back home restaurant dish whatever
1: well i, I back home is a complicated question but i guess that's in the U.S., yeah 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 uh, i'm a pizza snob me too me too like i'm a pizza snob and i can't find a good place um
0: i call them my uh my holy trinity so and i'll i'll email Mar- Mal- mallory or get these to you mama mary's it's from a family that's from the jersey shore so they get it uh, big slice, and what was the third? Okay. And stubborn brother.
1: You know, oh, I heard that several people tell me about stubborn uh, stubborn brothers. They
0: they have a water filtration system that mimics the the water from back east, so the crust is comparable.
1: So I'll share a quick story with you. So my wife's from China. She likes pizza, but she likes pineapple on pizza.
0: It's totally fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Not to me, it's not totally fine. <laughs> I'm like, You you're going to hell. Like, you her let her add like, that one. I, I refuse, so I make her order a separate pie because I like I don't even want that touching my pie. Wow. And so when we had kids, my wife's like, Oh, the girls the girls like pineapple and pizza. I'm like, I don't think they do. She goes, Yeah, they like pineapple and pizza. So we ordered two pies. My wife gives the girls two slices of pineapple pizza And my kids throw them straight in the trash And take the regular pizza I'm like, see, that's my girl." Great dad moment That's my girls. You, How do you live in Philly and like pineapple on pizza?
0: I don't I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I'm okay with it I'm just not going to die on that hill But I have two questions lined up Actually, we've moved past one of them But all during September and October Anybody that visited the podcast um, I'm a big candy corn fan and I asked everybody, how do you feel about candy corn? I I will die on the hill of candy corn because I think it gets a bad rap. So, Stuart James, how do you feel about candy corn?
1: All right. I can't even tell you the last time I had candy corn. I can't even tell you. In fact, I took my girls trick-or-treating and they got a lot of candy. I don't think there was any candy corn in that. Okay. I'm gonna to have to go buy some now.
0: Okay. Next question: As we move into another controversial time of year, when is the right time to do Christmas festivities? Put up the lights, decorate the tree, start listening to Christmas music. Because some people, as soon as Halloween ended, have flipped on Christmas. What about you?
1: Oh no, I'm a post-Thanksgiving guy. Okay. I'm a post-Thanksgiving. So this was actually my one hang-up with converting. Is I'm Christmas. I love Christmas. It was, a th- me and my dad had special Christmases, and so I couldn't give that up. But yeah, I I think it's just like, I can't even, like, I actually bought Christmas decorations this weekend because I was concerned that all the people were shopping for Christmas decorations, and there wouldn't be any left. I am like, what is up with it? Like, I, Thanksgiving, people just don't even care about Thanksgiving.
0: No, and people have made some memes to, to personify that. But yeah, we've kind of like pinched Thanksgiving into Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Thursday, and then we start shopping for Christmas. It's it's gotten a short shrift.
1: My brother called me uh, on, on the re- uh, before the weekend, Friday, I guess it was, maybe Thursday. And he said, you know, Black Friday starts this weekend. I'm like, Black Friday starts this weekend. Thanksgiving's like three weeks away.
0: Yeah. What the hell? Last thing I'll, I'll, I'll warn you about and we can wrap up. Um... People would give me a hard time when I moved to Detroit from Philadelphia. They called me a a snow wuss, among other things. But it is much colder here, and the winter is much more fierce. There is a big difference between a low temperature in January on the east coast of 28, when that's like one day of the week, and here, we don't get past 18 for like 10 days. So, just warning you, you're not in Berkeley anymore. I'm not
1: looking forward to this. (laughs) Not fun. This was um this was my one hang up. I'm like I don't like coal. My wife's I like that's so the house we got's got a spectacular basement. And I've decided I'm not leaving. Like December to maybe April. You're not gonna find me. I got a bar down there, a movie theater's going and I'm not leaving.
0: Yeah. Um you can come over, we'll crack the scotch. I'm good. I'm introverted as it is, and I'm like one more cold weekend away from hibernating till about April.
1: I'm just not worried. That's why you're in a nice, warm studio.
0: Uh, Stuart James, this was awesome. I can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Thank you for being such an impressive human being and deciding to bring your life here to Toledo because we need your dynamism. Thank you for helping get the Tarta thing passed, and thank you for uh, helping uh, the Ability Center continue down, making this the most accessible city in the country. Thank you for having me.